Today we've got two main topics. First we'll be discussing Young Pyromancer and his possible applications in Eternal. After that we'll be delving into Combo, specifically how to fight against Combo. We'll be focusing on the two biggest players in Combo at the moment, first Omnitel, then Tendrils based Combo. Unfortunately, Kobe and Sean were unable to be with us today, but I'm Sam Craven, and I'm joined by Matt Pavlik. Hi, I'm Matt Pavlik. Before we get into our main topic, let's discuss the recent Star City Games Invitational. So, uh, looking at the Legacy Open results, we'll see that uh, Jared Fabiano came in first with uh, Blue, White, Red, Delver, and there was a smattering of Death and Taxes, Esperblade, Ant, a lot of Shardless Bug, uh, Tess, Omnitel, more Shardless Bug, and Rug Delver. And then going over to the Invitational results again, we have Blue, White, Red, Delver coming in first. We have Shardless Bug again, Shardless Bug, Shardless Bug, Shardless Bug, an Esper Deathblade, a Jund, and a Four-Color Loam, being the top eight of the Legacy portion of the Invitational. So what this is basically showing us is a lot of people seem to be switching to Shardless Bug, and there seems to be a lot of some sort of combo. Uh, in the Legacy metagame at the moment, whether it be show-and-tell-based combo, or, you know, Omnitel, or something of that variety, or traditional tendrils-based combo, so Ant or Tess. And it's important to point out here that uh, with the Invitational results, uh, those players did not play the full tournament with that Legacy deck. Uh, what that means is that these are the top eight players standard in Legacy of some combination. So that means these top players in the country think that there's a lot of them that think Shardless Bug is the way to go. Um, four out of eight is a pretty clear sign. Um, whether that's because they think it's the best deck, uh, maybe it's a little easier to run than what they might run otherwise. Um, can't say for sure without knowing them, but that it's definitely uh, interesting to note that. Uh, going over to the Open, the thing I uh, that stands out the most to me, first off, uh, Tendrils is obviously it's back to... Uh, to existence. It hadn't been around for a couple months. Uh, the other thing is Death and Taxes. People write this deck off and have for quite some time, but uh, between this, there's been a couple other uh, open top eights, and winning the most recent GP, Death and Taxes very clearly is a real deck right now. So I think not just that. I mean, as we can see in both events, uh, Blue, White, Red, Delver seems to be have been doing quite well. Why is this? I mean, I think if everybody was on the Deathblade plan, this deck is just I feel like it's very much designed to beat up on Deathblade. You have Lenny Bolts to take care of the uh, stone, the opposing Stoneforge Mystics and the opposing stone, uh, Deathrite Shamans, as well as you have your Sword Supply Shares, you have your Stifles to per, to stop their mana development, you have your own Dazes, you have your own Batter Skull, your own GTA, whatever. Your mana base is pretty solid. You're not into four colors like the other deck. So you don't have to worry about you know getting wastelanded off of this color or that color. You're just running the standard kind of 18 to 19 land mana base. This one is running one more tundra than the normal kind of uh, three color tempo mana base, but you know they're pretty heavy into white into blue. Sideboard again looks to be pretty general. You've got your engineered explosives, your relic of progenitus, taking it for again deathrite shamans or for opposing grim lava mancers or even for. Uh, Ant combo, you've got your Meddling Mage, Flusterstorms, Red Elemental Blasts, uh, Wear and Tear is also seeing some play, opposing equipment. Yeah, Wear and Tear was really good against me playing a uh, blue-white counterbalance uh, enchantment deck. Um, I think it's interesting you go for this as the difference between it and another Stoneforge deck. 
Uh, when I first looked at this, I looked at it as the difference between it and another Delver deck. Um, and the big difference to me that stands out immediately with blue, white, red Delver is that it does not suffer from the huge reliance on the graveyard that Rug does. Uh, in fact, there are no cards in here that rely on the graveyard other than Grim Lavamancer. And Grim Lavamancer is really going to punish their, uh, their Deathrite Shamans, as you pointed out. Um, this is, I guess, kind of, kind of a mix of both of those things. They said, we don't want to be as easy to hate out, and we want to hate out the other things. Um, definitely an interesting deck. I played against it this weekend, and it's, uh, it's got a lot of different game plans. And if you haven't seen the deck, it does a lot of things you're not prepared for. When they open with Volcanic Delver of Secrets, you think, all right, Rug, I've got this locked up. And then the next turn they go, Tundra Stoneforge Mystic, you go, oh, that's bad. And the problem is, I mean, they have this kind of control. They are, you know, very much the aggro control deck. You can go the aggro Delver of Secrets route, but you also have game in Geist of Saint Traft being a, you know, six damage coming in uh, on turn four. You know, you have Stoneforge Mystic, which is which is a must kill again. We're noticing this move to, you know, creatures that you must kill on the spot, otherwise you're going to have a bad time. So, I mean, Delver of Secrets, you know, not quite as bad, but Stoneforge Mystic, very bad. Geist, also very bad. Um, again, people are having to relearn how to play around tempo decks. A lot of people have maybe haven't played against or played in the era of, you know, where Rug Tempo was, you know, the dominant deck in the format. So just remembering, you know, I mean, playing around Stifle. You understanding the Stifle is in their deck. How do you get around that? When do you crack your fetch lens? When do you do whatever? And, and it's really interesting to watch in the feature matches, especially the guys who you can tell they've played a lot when Rug has been dominant, because they'll do things like leave a fetch out and wait until they fetch to fetch in response to make sure they don't get themselves stifled. Um, and it's little things like that that really separate okay players from being very good players. It's just those little things, playing around stifle days, things like that. So speaking of this deck being good, and it being good against the rest of the format, so what are you going to do when you're playing against this deck? Well, one, if you're on the play, you don't have too much fear. If you're on the draw, do not play into days if you don't have to. Use your turns for mana development. If you can, remove their Stoneforge Mystic. Delver of Secrets doesn't kill you right away. You still have some time with Delver of Secrets. And also recall, it's only two uh, bodies, so if you have Lightning Bolt, uh, if you have Sword Splashers, Abrupt Decay, whatever. Just get your mana base uh, built up first and stable. Uh, remember that they do play Wasteland. So try to develop that mana base. Once you have that, then start playing out your threats. If you'll notice, Geist of St. Traft is only a 2-2. So recall, Tarmogoyf is bigger than every single one of their creatures. Now, they do have sorts of plowshares to remove it. However, depending on the deck that you're playing, I'm sure you should be able to handle it. I was playing against this deck with Agrolom, and every single one of my creatures is just bigger than theirs. So if you concentrate... Mana development, so for example, I was fetching basic lands, fetching on their upkeep, so if they are going to stifle you, they're going to have to use some of the mana that they could use on their turn, instead of getting just a free walk in the park where, well, you get to sit there with your one life lost and no land. Uh, Devastating Dreams was very good against this deck, Seismic Assault, big control pieces, as long as you can actually actively develop your mana base, that's how you win this game. Well, I can tell you how I won it, which is that I landed a, uh, a turn two energy field and a turn three rest in peace, and that was pretty much the end of the game uh, before sideboards came in. <laughs> yes, well, we all don't get to run so well, do we? Uh, well, you know, I, I live in magical Christmas land most days of the week. This is true. All right, uh, anything else about the, uh, about the open or the invitational? 
Uh, shortlist bug. I mean, I think my personal take on the reason why it's doing so well is you have access to a lot of cards that are doing a lot of damage against the format. So, as of right now, you have a lot of Deathblade running around, you have a lot of uh, Omnitel, you have a lot of Ant or Tess combo decks, and you have some tempo decks. So having access to Abrupt Decay, you have Force of Will, you have uh, Deathrite Shaman, Jace, you have Baleful Strix, Notion Thief. All of these good cards are very... The, you don't have very many bad matchups. The deck is very direct to play. Uh, you basically want to have a turn of Shardless Agent into value card. Ideally, Shardless Agent into Ancestral Vision, or him to Torok, or whatever. That's your kind of ideal line of play. Um, I think it has a lot of game also too, because your sideboard is going to be able to deal with a lot of things. So, Notion Thief is really good against the other Jace decks and the Omnitel decks. Uh, you have Force of Will, Crosen Grip, again, for the Omnitel deck. And for equipment-based decks, you have access to Vincer, uh, Dread of Night, Massacre, Thoughtseize, Flusterstorm. Um, all good cards. Yeah, and as an evidence of uh, just how strong card draw is in the format, look at how many of these cards draw you a card. You've got Baleful Strix is, as a two-of. You've got Shardless Agent, which is essentially going to be drawing you three if you're uh, if you're lucky. You've got Chase the Mind Sculptor. And then you've got a bunch of other cards that, while they don't draw you cards, they're definitely getting you card advantage with Liliana, uh, Thoughtseize, Him to Turok. You're just... Uh, Keep keeping up on cards, and that's the uh, problem I've always had when I've played against it, is that my opponent's going to have five, six cards in hand, and I'm going to be trying to play something every turn, and having one card in hand is not as good as having five or six cards in hand. Also, too, over the course of a long tournament, depending on how long you're going to be playing, playing a deck that is very simple in the I know the game plan that I need to be on, and this is what I need to do, that's definitely a deck that's going to favor you over a long tournament. So playing something like 43 lands... Or uh, high tide. High tide is going to be very hard mentally. Never mind in terms of just time limits. I mean, going to time is is not something where you want to be in a long tournament. So I'm assuming. I mean, this deck looks like it closes quite quickly. You know, you have a you, you start with Thoughtseize, you him to rock, you play a Belfast Strix, you've got a Tarmogoyf, then suddenly, you know, there's abrupt decays flying around, and oh, Tarmogoyf's a five six, and he's bashing your face. In my experience, even the games that do go long, once you've gotten to the long game, it's what you want to do is pretty clear. So they might have, for example, a Batter Skull. It's pretty clear that what you want to do is either make them sacrifice the creature that uh, the Batter Skull is on, or you want to abrupt decay. Uh, you want to abrupt decay the creature. So a lot of this stuff, even, I mean, I don't want to say a deck is simple, because obviously no deck in Legacy is, is as simple as it looks. But a lot of the plan you're going to be on in the late game is something that's not going to require as much as, say, a deck like High Tide would. So, I'm just going to start talking about Pyromancer. Sure. So, Young Pyromancer, uh, a card that's obviously gotten a lot of talk about what it's going to do for the format. Um, on the message boards, it's looked like a lot of the legacy development has been playing it as a 2 or 3 of in a rug-style deck. Uh, I'm still not quite sure where its home is going to be in legacy, but... Over this last weekend, there was a 24-man tournament on the West Coast, the, a vintage tournament, that had uh, quite a few Pyromancer decks. Um, looking at Menindian's list, because, you know, he's just the best, so you always gotta look at his list. And it's pretty much exactly what you'd expect. It's uh, playing blue, he's got uh, 
the usual suite of 10 counter spells, 11 uh, cantrips, including 4 gush, fast bond, uh, interestingly, 3 regrowth. Uh, Matt and I talked a little bit about this before the cast. I think the purpose of this is that you're going to pay 2 mana to get back gush, which uh, you're then going to play for free. So you're going to pay a green and a colorless to get 2 guys off Pyromancer and 2 cards. That seems like some pretty good value. Uh, I'm not sure whether or not that's the best way to go with this. Um, I think another interesting way to go with that might be uh, Lotus Cobra, because this deck is also playing Tendrils of Agony, which is always really good in a deck like this, because you don't have to Tendrils for the full 20 damage, because you're going to be slowly nibbling them down uh, over the course of a few turns. You might only have to Tendrils for three or four. I, um, I'm actually quite interested to see... I mean... You have a deck with Tendrils, you have Kobe, there's no Gristlebrand. I'm sure a deck is being worked on. I'm sure. <laughs> somewhere. Certainly. Uh, the other thing that I think this deck does really well, um, we discussed this before the show as well, is that it creates a lot of threats. Uh, the format in general can deal with uh, your, your fatty, like your, your Blightsteel Colossus, um, most decks aren't really packing anything that's going to hit 20 different guys attacking them. Uh, the only thing I can really think of that sees play in the format that's going to do that is Echoing Truth, which means you have to be playing blue. And I don't that... think Nausea is a very widely played card. Uh, no, I, I don't believe so. No. Uh, how, ma how many top eights has that had this year? Uh, as far as I know, less than 10. Less than 10? I, I, th I think it might be less than one. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> Uh, it's also uh, as an added benefit when you're talking about having that many guys out to attack them if you're playing against a stacks list they're going to be cranking up that smokestack and you're going to say well that's absolutely fine I'll keep sacking these little dudes and keeping all my awesome stuff while you have to start sacrificing your smokestack or your tangle wire or your lodestone golem that's a very important point I mean uh, even just today when I was cubing having say Mur Battlesphere against uh, a deck like Stacks is going to definitely put you way ahead. So, I mean, having, you know, your young Pyromancer sitting around, you know, while you're trying to crank out spells, just having something to feed the smokestack is going to be something very, very good and maybe an angle that even if you were just, even if you weren't breaking young Pyromancer as a card on its own, just to have something for a smokestack, that could be its own thing. And I'm trying to think, what is a what is an artifact deck really going to be able to do about all these guys coming at them, aside from trying to win through them? Uh, Knight of Souls Betrayal. That's the one where all creatures get minus one, minus one. The question there is, uh, that's that's colored, which means a stack deck is going to, again, still have problems with it. Of course. Uh, perhaps, if, if this explodes, we might see something like five color stacks become a thing again, because... Balance. Balance, <laughs> yeah, balance is really good. Especially when uh, your biggest creature is a uh, maybe a mere battle sphere or a lodestone, and their biggest creature is a pyromancer. Yeah, I'd be okay with that trade. <laughs> um, in terms of legacy, any ideas where this might be going, Matt? Um, in terms of say, some people were talking about it in Mono Red Burn. I don't know if that's the card that if that's a deck. This is the home for this young pyromancer card. The problem with Mono Red Burn is you want to have as many 3 damage for 1 mana cards as you possibly can. Um, basically, ideally, you would have every card in the deck, except the few lands that you would need would be 3 damage, 1 mana. So this thing costs, what, 2 red? Or is it 1 and a red? 1 and a red. 1 and a red. 
for something that doesn't do anything the turn that it comes into play, it doesn't attack that turn. So, okay, so if you play your burn spell and it on turn three with three mountains out, sure. Now you've got three damage next turn. Is that good enough? Is that fast enough? I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe in a more mid-range deck that's trying to go a little bit longer, where you can actually abuse those tokens, then I think that's my, that could be where this young pyromancer wants to be. Maybe in a rug shell. I'm not certain, but I don't think it's in moderate burn. What do you think about in like a blue-red burn deck, which is going to have things like Snapcaster recurring those uh, those three damage spells, so you don't have to have quite as high a density of them in the deck? I think that's probably more likely. I don't have much more to say than I think. I haven't tested it. Legacy being s- such an open format, it's difficult to say on a lot of this stuff unless you're doing extensive testing, and that would mean yeah, extensive testing with j- with rug would have taken all week. And then I would have to move on to the next deck and the next deck. So I'm not sure. And that's the great thing about the internet is in a couple of weeks, someone's going to know this is where this really belongs. And then you'll say, wow, my Golgari charms are really, really good. Exactly. I'm glad I ordered them in Russian. Exactly. Eight of them. Just wish I could play them all. <laughs> At once. The only other thing I could think of is um, a couple weeks ago, we saw Jerry Thompson playing a Niv Magus Elemental deck. Uh, Niv Magus Elemental does the exact opposite that uh, Pyromancer's, uh, Young Pyromancer does, which is instead of creating a bunch of dudes, it gets really big. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, that card. Oh, man. It also played with things like Kiln Fiend. It played a lot of the Frexian mana spells that you might see in an Infect deck. It also played Berserk. It's just a, it's a different angle. I don't think it would belong here. It has the advantage that um, they can sort the plowshares your Niv Magis Elemental that's a 50-50. They, again, cannot wipe 50 dudes off at the same time. And uh, <clears throat> wiping 50 dudes off at the same time is now the quote of the cast. Wow. So actually, have you played Pox in the last little bit? I have never played Pox. I've played against it, and I wanted to punch myself in the dick, and that was just an extended. Because the deck, to be honest, is actually not too bad. Well, I mean, it's one of those decks that just, like, it seems like it's a deck kind of like Stax is going to be, that it's just going to up and win against a lot of stuff, and it's really going to make a lot of people hate their lives, and it's definitely something nobody's, like, prepared for. Like, no one's no one's got this stuff in their sideboard or their mainboard ready for, like, a turn two small box. Because, I mean, like, against these tempo decks where you're just like, oh, I took a land, a card, a life, and a guy? Brutal. That's your entire board. Yep. Like... We I've been t- helping uh, my friend tune a um, his list, and he's actually the last couple of classics that we've had over here that I was talking about. He's top forward, all of them. So it's worth uh, worth talking about. Worth checking out. Yeah. Um, another huge advantage that deck has is there's what like one expensive card in it. Uh, no, he's playing Tabernacle, Nether Void, Drop of Honey. Alright, well that will uh, <clears throat> that will increase the price a little, but yep. you could certainly play it uh, without those. I guess you could, but then you'd be a scrub, so whatever. Okay, let's fucking talk about this combo deck then. Alright, combo decks. So as we can see by the last couple of results, also too, if you look at TC decks, you look at the Invitational Tournament, and you look at the last couple of Legacy Opens, you'll notice that the there's an increased density of Ad Nauseam Tendrils. 
uh, the Epic Storm, as well as show-and-tell-based combo decks, mainly the Omnitel variants. So what we're going to do now is try and go over the two most prevalent ones, Ant and Omnitel, so we can kind of break down how the decks work, uh, what their function is, what they're trying to do, and how you beat them. And hopefully try to give you guys some ideas kind of from each corner of the metagame, depending on what deck you're playing, what deck, what cards you can play to help uh, defeat these strategies. So I think we're going to try and start with Omnitel. So, um, Which we have been requested that we refer to that deck as Omniderp. But I'm I don't know if we're going to do that, but I will point out that it's been requested. Actually, more than once. <laughs> so, let's talk about Omnitel. So, Omnitel is, well, a deck using the Omniscience card. So, as you may guys may know, came out in M13. Also, was in another set, I'm pretty sure. Can't remember. Uh, seven, blue, blue, blue. You may cast an online cards from your hand without paying their mana costs. So, basically, you get to play things for free once this is in play. So what does this mean? Well, besides actually just playing cards for free, you get to play good cards for free. So enter, enter, enter the infinite. Uh, eight, blue, 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 draw cards equal to the number of cards in your library, then put one back on top. You have no maximum hand size until your next turn. So basically the whole point of this deck is to either use uh, show and tell or to use dream halls to be able to cast omniscience. And then to use Omniscience to cast Enter the Infinite. Enter the Infinite draws your entire deck. Uh, and then you can, uh, depending on what you want to do in the situation, you can either have an Emer cast Emrakul for free, which means you get to take an extra turn, and then you get to 15 them and Annihilate or 6 them. Or you use Cunning Wish, you go grab Adalami Ah, I always get this name wrong. Aladmarie's Call. You can go get your, depending on the situation, uh, you go get an answer if you need to. Or you win with the card. The more popular one nowadays is Release the Ants. So Release the Ants, basically you clash with your opponent, you deal one damage. Since you put back either Emrakul or another Enter the Infinite, you, when you clash with your opponent, you're basically going to win. So you just sit there and you do that until they die. Sam, any um, additional points that I kind of missed? One of my first things I think is funny is that it's it's great that the Legacy format is a format that's so wide open that a card like Release the Ants is playable. That's, that's just amazing. Um. So I think the way that some older builds uh, are still running the uh, Research and Development kill, which is basically you go search for Research and Development, Cunning Wish, you go get research and development. Research and development shuffles in like Firemind's Foresight and like basically it's a Lab Maniac kill is essentially the point. So the problem with that kill, with the Lab Maniac kill, is even though you have your entire deck in your hand, it's still possible that there are cards that kill the Lab Maniac and you don't end up winning. That's not good. Um, also too, it requires one more slot, uh, which you're a cunning wish deck, so ideally you want to have as many answers as humanly possible to whatever you might face. So as you can see in the sideboard, uh, of the latest open, uh, Joshua Rabbits was playing Omnitel, and he's running the Mono Blue version. Uh, so he's running Trickbind, he's running uh, Slaughter Pact, Sapphire Charm, Rushing River, Pact of Negation, Noxious Revival, Intuition, etc. Uh, the reasons for these cards, Defense Grid basically means if you're playing against any sort of blue-based, uh, like say a Miracles deck or whatever, you're going to be able to go off on your turn with your Show and Tell, and they're not going to be able to stop it, or it's going to be very difficult for them to stop it. Uh, Leeline of Sanctity, it's for the discard-based decks. Call is uh, call is used so you can get out from under Gaddictique. 
Uh, so basically what you do is, depending on how this all works out, if you have a wish in hand, you go get Call. Call goes for Emrakul, and you Emrakul them. Uh, intuition is just for general tutoring. Noxious Rebel gets back a discarded combo piece. Pact of Negation, if you need to counter a spell, release the ants as your kill condition. Rushing River to bounce um, two different hate bears, if you can. Uh, Sapphire Charm is to phase out a hate bear. Um, uh, Slaughter Pact is to kill something. And Trick Bind is for the, like, if they drop in a uh, Casali Pride Mage or something, right? You can go Wish in response for Trick Bind and Trick Bind them so you uh, your omniscience stays alive. So there's a little bit of... Uh, little bit of an argument, or I'd say a little bit of a difference in thought process between people who are really constructing this deck. So, as you guys might know, Lejay and Emladen on the source, kind of the two minds kind of working on this deck quite a bit. Uh, people say you can either run the mono-blue version, uh, impervious to wasteland, I think is a really good choice, or you could splash black. So, what do you get if you splash black? You get hand disruption. Uh, you get, uh, you could actually pay for a slaughter pact if need be, if that's possibly a thing ever. Uh, hand disruption, or you can also get Limdol's Vault. Uh, again, as you might have read Carson Cotter's article, uh, I guess a week ago or whatever, he was talking about Limdol's Vault. I've played Limdol's Vault for the last forever in a lot of stuff. It's, I'm sure most of you played in EDH. Uh, it's very good in any kind of, any kind of combo deck that you may be playing to kind of you know, look at the top five. Are these cards good? Do I want to use them? Etc. Let's you sort through your deck. And if... I mean, I'm not going to explain how to use Lemdol's Vault. That article that Carson Cotter wrote, you can find it on Star City Games, was excellent explaining, like, how this card actually works. So, I think if you were splashing, say, two Underground Seas, it gives you a little bit more flexibility, and I don't think that that really impacts you that much in terms of, like, vulnerability to Wasteland. Sean? Sam? Yeah, um, this is a deck I've I've had a lot of trouble with. Um, I don't think I've won a single match against Omnitel yet. Um, and one of the things that's just really painful about it is most of the time, if they resolve show and tell, and you do not have something to show in, like an uh, something like an Oblivion Ring, most of the time that pretty much just means that they win, and you have to watch them finish. Um, is there anything we can do? after they've uh, show-and-telled stuff in, because once they've done that, they're probably going to show-and-tell in Omniscience, which means they can counter anything you do for free. Yeah, so there's a bit of a problem. So, yeah, once uh, Omniscience is in play, it's very, very difficult to actually win any sort of, say, counter-war. Because, I mean, it, again, it all depends on their hand, how they've constructed everything, how they've sculpted uh, their win. But however, recall... Um, Everything that they cast is free, so they can cast all their Pact Negations, which were already free, but their Force of Wills, and if they were running, say, Fluster Storms or whatever they were running as their additional counter spells that they had, any, those are all free. Uh, in response to anything that you do, they can cast their Cunning Wishes for free and the card that they wish for. for so, for example, they have a Pact Negation if they need it, or they can go get the Rushing River or Trick Bind. So, again, there's a lot of different, uh, a lot of different ways that once they have omniscience, it's very difficult for you to win. So, remember also too, if you have an oblivion ring, the oblivion ring comes into play and targets the omniscience, so they have a time to respond. So they can also, again, just go get trickbind if they have the cunning wish. It's not the greatest. 
Yeah, it's it's rough. That's why, for the most part, I'm playing Miracles right now. For the most part, my way of dealing with it, uh, first off, I'm siding out all of my things like creature removal. But anything I have in my sideboard that costs three is an automatic side-in just because it flips to counterbalance to counter uh, to counter show-and-tell. And that's one of the things that's rough about this deck is, it's like I said, if you don't answer show-and-tell, that's pretty much the end of the game for you. Yeah, so cards that are really good that help you, depending on what deck you're playing. I've been playing a lot of uh, blue, white, red miracles lately. Cards that you want to see. Aethersworn Canonist. Very good. It means if they show and tell, it means they can't actually cast Enter the Infinite that turn. So, think about that for a second. They need to cast Enter the Infinite and they release the ants multiple times per turn to actually kill you. So, enter Aethersworn Canonist. It also beats for two. So, if they're trying to dig maybe for the Cunning Wish and trying to find an answer to whatever you're doing, hey, You've got something. Plus, if you already have the Canonist down, recall that if they're actually using a kill spell on it, they've used their one spell per turn. If you have a counter spell, you've protected your Aether's One Canonist. Uh, another one? And ended their turn. Yes. Well, I mean, they're going to have... I mean, how many Cunning Wishes are they going to have? You can't fight three Cunning Wishes. Right. I mean, th there's sometimes you just get the nuts. That happens. So, another card, uh, again, that I'm running particularly in Blue White Red Miracles, Red Elemental Blast. Counter the Show and Tell. Done. I mean, yes, they will have, they could have defense grids and their own Force of Wills and their own Pact Negations. However, this is something. Yeah, and really, I mean, defense grid costs three more. Paying four mana to not lose the game is pretty good. They also have to try and kill you with uh, Release the Ants, or Emrakul. So the Miracles deck is already playing uh, Caracas. So if they're just running off of the show-and-tell Emrakul, hey, you have Caracas for that line of play. The line of play that's a little bit more difficult is the... Uh, I actually use Omniscience to cast Emrakul, gain the extra turn, etc. However, do you keep in Terminus? If, if it's a game one, you might still have a Terminus. So, hey, you, you, you have to play to your outs. The board, you're probably bringing out your terminuses, so that's yeah, probably not the best line of play. Um, Leland is Sanctity. So remember, they target you with Release the Ants. So, hey, they gotta go get rid of the Leland first before they actually come and kill you. Which, which is gonna be hard if you can manage to land two of them. Exactly. I mean, they do have Rushing River, so don't forget that. Uh, some builds I've also seen have run been running Echoing Truth. So again... You might not have everything, but however, making them work for it and kind of changing the number of possibilities that they could possibly have, that's, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to, you're trying to put the combo deck down a path that is very unfavorable for them or will take a long time to do so you can actually kill them in the meantime. And if they do go with the Emrakul uh, plan of attack, if they uh, try to hard cast Emrakul, well, for free, I don't know how hard it is, um, Another, uh, at least playing to your out, is to stifle that trigger, that uh, that trigger that lets them take the extra turn, just so that you get one more draw step to see if maybe you've got something. Exactly. So, I mean, there are definitely a few outs. So looking for kind of, to recap, so looking kind of from the, uh, the black-green kind of mid-range kind of deck, um, also to, this would include Mavericks. So from that kind of angle of the metagame, you've got yourself Gattacteek, uh, Aethersworn Canonist, Thalia, you have all of your Hand Disruption, and you have Cross and Grub. So, this deck, actually, because I was helping my friend work on this deck, 
it's very hard to answer protected hate bears. So, for example, like if you have a, if you're playing say Dark Maverick and you have say Gattatig, Thalia, Mother Runes, th it's very difficult to actually have one one target that actually deals with that. They can't go get Massacre is a sorcery. Uh, that would actually solve basically all the problems that this deck really has. Is basically the protected hate bear or the double hate bear draw. Uh, uh, Avon Mind Sensor is very good against them. Uh, Gaddictig prevents uh, Enter the Infinite from being cast, so they have to go Wish to go remove Gaddictig first, or they have to go Wish for Call for Emrakul. So, I mean, again, just depends on what's going on. Uh, like we said, Cannons before Thalia. Also, getting down an early Thalia really taxes their development, so being able to, say, only ponder once per turn, or doing whatever, or waiting until turn four to show and tell might be the difference between you dying and not that turn. Certainly, and we we don't mean to sound like this is a hopeless matchup, but it's definitely, if they resolve show and tell, you're very far behind. Definitely still winnable, but uh, difficult nonetheless. So, well, what else would you say, Sam, from a different corner of the metagame, so to speak? I mean, I, I'm trying to think. Uh, you covered Maverick. You covered uh, which Maverick basically ends up including uh, death and taxes. Um, other combo decks just are going to try to win faster. Uh, maybe side in a little uh, little hand disruption to try and get stuff out because, hey, uh, every little bit counts. Um, other decks, I, I'm, I'm not really sure. This deck, this deck has been. Uh, one of those things that once I saw it, I've been trying to figure out what really uh, what I want to do, and there's it's, I don't know. There's also, I mean, if you, depending on the deck that you're running, there's also uh, extirpating the show and tells makes it more difficult. They have to go with the dream halls. They have no way to search for dream halls, you know. And some of them are not playing dream halls; they're only playing the four of show and tell. So I mean, slaughter games. If you can survive that long, uh, red elemental blast like we talked about before. Any other cards that you can think of, Sam? For the most part, that's it. Other than uh, just more counter spells, Flusterstorm being yeah, Flusterstorm is is awesome. Um, and when we get to Storm uh, in a moment, Flusterstorm is going to come up again. Okay, well that probably covers what we want to talk about for for that. So just basically, Omnitel, you need they have answers for your for your answers. They have the next level. So what you need to do is just make sure to try. And you're going to use a consortium of answers to try and kind of block them long enough so that you can win. Uh, to be honest, Omnitel is very, 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 very good. Um, I'm not going to make any speculation or speculatory comments regarding why this deck is not taking over the format or this or that. Uh, however, I think in the hands of a very competent pilot with the right sideboard for an expected metagame, the deck is very, very, very solid. More so than, say, like an Andra test deck that just, say, might fold to a Canonist or a Thalia or something like that. Certainly, and one one thing to point out, too, is um, when you're playing against this, because they the, the nut draw is, uh, is uh, show-and-tell on turn two with uh, an island and then a City of Traders or a uh, another Soul Land. Um, that re what that really means is they're going to go off so fast, you're not going to beat them down in the time it takes for them to cast a show-and-tell. So your plan really needs to be to stop them first and win second, which would be something like playing a Thalia where you might have played uh, a Termogwaif or uh, you know, getting your counterbalance down where you would really like to uh, have a rest in peace or something like that.
So now moving on, moving over to Ad Nauseam Tendrils, also known as Ant uh, Tess, the Epic Storm being a slightly different variant of the Tendrils archetype. Sam, do you want to kind of take this one over a bit and kind of introduce the deck itself? So both of these decks uh, operate on the same principle. Uh, it's a bit simpler than uh, Omnitel, at least in terms of the explanation. It's uh, maybe a little more complex uh, to play and watch. Uh, basically what you're trying to take advantage of is the card Tendrils of Agony uh, has the Storm ability. And the Storm ability is for every card you've played before this, uh, cast an extra copy of uh, Tendrils. So basically what you're trying to do is cast a bunch of spells, most of which are going to be ritual effects or cantrips, and then once you've sufficiently uh, upped your storm count by annoying your opponent, you'll go ahead and cast your Tendrils of Agony. Um, the main difference between the two, Ad Nauseam Tendrils, is uh, blue-black. It spends a lot more. It has a lot more cantrips, uh, and uh, it usually will play like Cabal Therapy, which, as you know, we, uh, we love. Um, it also, occasionally, you get to play my favorite Starter 99 card, which is Grim Tutor. Uh, Tess is, tends to be four-color. It's blue, black, red, and white, sometimes even green. Sometimes it plays the full five. Because of that, some people think it's a little bit more complex to play uh, because there's a lot of lines. It plays green sometime for Xanthid Storm, which means that your opponents can't play, uh, can't play spells. Uh, white for Silence. Uh, red for... Uh, empty the warrens, and then the usual blue and black for the tendrils kill. So now, as you can see from the list, if you look at the uh, the Eric Rill list from Legacy Open, I think that was, like I said, on the 28th of July. If we look at the list here, you have the Lion's Eye Diamonds, Lotus Petal. Uh, basically, you're trying to take uh, trying to take advantage of either the Past and Flames uh, path that you can go down, or the Ad Nauseam path. So the Adnauseum Path is basically, usually, you ritual up, you infernal, then you Infernal Tutor with no cards in hand, usually by using Lion's Eye Diamond, by holding priority when casting Infernal Tutor, to go get Adnauseum. Adnauseum flips over a bunch of cards on the top of your deck, use them, and you use them to basically go get Tendrils of Agony, and then kill your opponent. Uh, the Pass and Flames kill can actually be done without Adnauseum, so if you're just ritualing up, uh, going for Pass and Flames... Past in Flames, ritualing again, getting more mana or cantripping or whatever you need to do, uh, and then just getting tendrils. Also, too, it's a very good way if, in case you say open with the tendrils, and you're like, oh, I don't have enough storm to build this or that, or it, it, it's another avenue. It uh, sidesteps um, having to go with ad nauseum, losing life. Depending on the situation, I'm not a storm player, kind of by trade, so to speak. However, uh, the Pass and Flames kill relies on the graveyard, so basically it's not really the choice uh, if you're uh, facing Rest in Peace. Uh, definitely. It does have the advantage uh, of not costing life every time you want to do something, and I have seen many players who will play Ad Nauseam, and they'll be flipping cards and counting, and they'll say, okay, well, I'm at 5, or I'm at 4, my odds of flipping over uh, Tendrils of Agony or Passive Flames, they're not that great, and they flip over a card and then they die. Um, that's one advantage uh, that the Passive Flames kill has. The other advantage is if you fail to go off your first attempt, Passive Flames will let you recast all those things you already, uh, you already played, and you don't have to tutor for them. They're all right there like a giant extra hand. Exactly. So, Or what you can do is if you have a huge Ad Nauseam flop, 
and for some reason you can't just get it to, you can't get it together throw it all in the graveyard throw past and flames in the graveyard and if you can build up the mana play out some LEDs so that next turn you can just go off so just recall that when you're playing past and flames it's not yog will it's only instant sorceries i've seen so many of my opponents try to quote unquote flashback mind's eye diamond their lotus petal please don't do that please don't please watch your opponent because sometimes they're misinformed as to how the card works and they try to do that. Yeah, they miss the second and fourth word in the text of the card. So, just try to uh, jog their memory. So, how does this deck actually try to win around your hate? So, so as you may know, that uh, the Epic Storm plays Burning Wish in addition to Infernal Tutor. So, Burning Wish allows them to go grab sorceries from their sideboard to go answer whatever you're doing. However, the Ant build actually has to tutor for them all with Infernal Tutor. So if you are trying to hate on them, and you know that you have a hate piece, and say you have Hand Disruption, go for their Infernal Tutors. Unless you need to break up the combo right away and say grab a Ritual. Infernal Tutor is very important. Infernal Tutor grabs, you know, maybe a Chain of Vapor, maybe the extra Dark Ritual they need, maybe the Abrupt Decay, whatever. It doesn't matter. It doesn't and matter. most of the time, their Infernal Tutor is a Demonic Tutor. And that card's obviously really good. It's restricted in the only format it's legal. Correct. So, basically, if you can stop the Infernal Tutor, uh, you can stop the answer to your answer. Um, the other the card I think is really interesting that a lot of Ant decks play out of the sideboard is Dark Confidant. Uh, it has a two-pronged effect. First of all, it is a slow, but it is an existent clock, um, which has a couple advantages. You could try to kill with it, but... Uh, Chances are you won't last that long. But it will knock them down a few life, which means that you're not going to have to storm quite as high as you normally would. You're also going to be drawing two cards a turn, and as everyone knows, drawing two cards is really good. It's really, really good in a deck that wants to play ten spells in one turn. Exactly. Um, also, also out of the side, you've got uh, some more stuff like you would expect. You have Abrupt Decay, sometimes Surgical Extraction, Chain of Vapor is common. Uh, the ant list we've got in front of us right now is actually playing green in the sideboard uh, for Carpet of Flowers, which is uh, an anti-blue card. You get uh, X mana of one color, where X is the number of islands your opponent controls. Uh, really, really good against any control deck. Super great against uh, Omnitel, because they're playing almost all islands, which is, uh, I would imagine, Carpet of Flowers is going to come in against them simply to try to go off faster than they can. So, basically, what cards are you going to play to try and defeat this Ad Nauseum Tendrils opponent? Well, again, they have to play multi... This is not a show-and-tell deck. Uh, they have to play a certain density of spells to actually build up Storm. So, because of that, Aethersworn Cannonist, very good. However, recall that they can run their Lines of Diamonds and Petals through Cannonist and not be taxed for it. So, please, rec please recall that. Uh, Chalice at 1 very good at shutting their entire deck down, essentially. Shutting off their cantrips, their hand disruption, um, yeah, basically everything. Again, they can still run their cards through it just to build Storm, however, they're not getting any actual profit out of it. Um, extirpate effects uh, are also great, uh, especially if you can grab, like, an Infernal Tutor. If With their first Infernal Tutor, they don't grab Tendrils of Agony. If you can remove that from their, from their deck it's going to be really hard because their Tendrils is probably a one-of, and they're going to have to draw it almost naturally, basically just with Brainstorm, Ponder, uh, maybe Preordain. 
and that's going to be obviously a lot harder than just demonic tutoring for it. Um, your other big options, of course, all the counter spells. Flusterstorm being great because you just let them go off, think they've won, and then you play Flusterstorm. Um, and then my favorite way, because it's just such a simple card, uh, is to stifle the storm trigger. I say, sure, after all of that, I will definitely take two damage. That's fine. So, in addition, uh, so like we were talking about, Thalia is very good. Again, they need to play multiple spells per turn. Taxing that, not good for them. Thalia Gatitig prevents Ad Nauseam, Passive Flames, and Turtles of Agony. So basically, they're big cards. Again, fear... You still have to fear the Infernal Tutor. They've got a lot of ways to deal with you still, though. So, again, a Protected Hate Bear is very hard for them to beat. So, again, they do have Caracas, Chain of Vapor, and Abrupt Decay. However, Protected Hate Bear is still Protected Hate Bear. Uh, Leland um, of Sanctity, coming from the the kind of the Miracles control side of it. Um, again, they need to bounce it before they can actually kill you. For the uh, less uh, controlly decks, even for something like Goblins, it's going to have a couple answers because uh, Red Elemental Blast counters every card they have that draws a card. Um, that's obviously not going to stop them from going off, but it's going to hinder them a lot, uh, especially if you hit just the right one. Well, exactly. Or, I mean, the Red Elemental Blast is also going to hit the Chain of Vapor. So say you have, like, example, if you're playing, say, Red White Goblins with Thalia. Thalia's being a real pain for them. You know, they're going to go tutor for Chain of Vapor and attempt to Chain of Vapor your Thalia. Well, oops, you have a Red Elemental Blast. So that's now, something you have to think about. One thing I've seen Ant Pilots do that I think is very interesting is when they're playing against a Counterbalance top deck that has Counter Top active. Um, I've seen this many times. The, uh, the Storm player will intentionally play spells out of order so that if you want to counter them, you have to keep rearranging your library. The idea being, eventually you will run out of mana to pump into your Sensei Divining Top, and then they can go off for free with, without having to worry about you doing anything to them. So in a scenario like that, key things to counter, Dark Rituals. Uh, they're going to try and use Rituals to get up to go play Tendrils of Agony. Uh, I mean, um, given if you have information, great. If you don't, uh, try to counter Infernal Tutor or Rituals. If they're just playing Brainstorms, you may want to leave them alone or just leave the one floating, say, if they're switching between, say, zeros and ones and such. Yeah, and if, they're, if, you, if you just leave your uh, counterbalance at one, same with Chalice at one, you're countering all of the cards that they use to draw cards, and you're countering Dark Rituals. So you're going to be countering 12 to 16 cards out of their deck. If if that's all you're doing, that's still pretty powerful. Also two cards like Nihil Spellbomb, uh, Relic of Progenitus, as well as Rest in Peace, uh, shuts off their Passive Flame skill. Uh, makes it so they have to go down the Ad Nauseam route, which makes it a little bit easier to say if you have a Spell Pierce or something like that. Five mana... You know, it's less likely they're going to have a bunch of extra mana left over when the thing costs five, as opposed to, say, four, and then whatever they're doing. Uh, one more important point is that Storm counts all spells played from both sides. So uh, you want to be very careful with your, especially your taxing counter effects. You don't want to play a spell pierce that's not going to do anything, because all it's really going to do is cost them two mana and up their Storm. And two mana to up their Storm is basically what every other card is doing anyway. Uh, so you want to be very picky and choosy about where you're casting your taxing effects to make sure that you're doing it uh, 
in a way that's most helpful to you, either countering things or making them pay two at just the right time. Like, for example, making them pay two when they've got cards in hand and Lion's Eye Diamond is the only source of mana they have left. Also, too, recall that if you're playing, say, a black-green deck that's going to be running Abrupt Decay, that is still a decent card in this matchup. It's not necessarily a card you automatically board out. If you have worse cards to board out, you board those out. If Abrupt Decay is your worst card, you board it out. It has marginal value in that A. If they're bringing in, say, Carpital Flowers, Dark Confidant, or something like that, you have an answer to those cards. Also, recall that they have to play Lion's Eye Diamond. All the combo decks are playing Lion's Eye Diamond. Um, if they have a Lion's Eye, if they cast a Lion's Eye Diamond and then proceed to cast something else before the Infernal Tutor, you can, in response with that second spell on the stack, target Lion's Eye Diamond with Abrupt Decay. So what this means is, if they do decide to sacrifice Lion's Eye Diamond and discard their hand, it means that they're discarding the Tutor with it. There is no opportunity for them to say cast Infernal Tutor then to try and go for it. So even ca even cracking one Lion's Eye Diamond can really alter the math that they've done in their head and that when they've decided that this is the time I'm going to go off. So say they're playing two Lion's Eye Diamonds, and they go Lion's Eye Diamond and they start to cast the second one. You know, just going, oh, you either choose to get your mana now or you only get three instead of six, that might not be enough. Maybe they needed four mana to go get tendrils. Maybe they needed five mana, right? And do you know what I'm saying? And that's... That's something outside of the game, too, that you can... It's kind of... It's not in the game itself that you're doing it, but sometimes just even... Uh, and, and I will admit to having done this, doing plays that don't make a lot of sense might mess with their... their they have a plan in their head for what their entire turn is going to be like. And doing something unexpected, like, even if you have no answers, just doing something unexpected might throw them off their game just enough. And, and like, like we've said, playing to your outs, if you have no outs, fake it. Because they're going to play around what they think you might have. And also, too, please do not concede to a Storm player until they have completely gone through the entire sequence of events that causes you to die. Um, there have been times um, where, you know, maybe the maybe the tendrils is gone. Maybe it's imprinted on a Chrome Mox. Maybe what, it doesn't matter, really matter what it is. But perhaps they actually don't have a way to win. Maybe they're actually locked out. Maybe they don't have this card in the deck. Maybe they forgot to take something out of a sideboard or whatever. It doesn't matter. Make sure that they actually show you the kill that they have and not just tell you, I haven't, you give up. This is especially true because I've seen people concede to Ad Nauseam because Ad Nauseam is generally the beginning of the end. But they might just show the wrong stuff to Ad Nauseam and it is completely possible to Ad Nauseam yourself all the way down and not have the win. So, also to... Also, one of the main differences between Ant and Tess, in case you're trying to figure out, like, oh, what's going on? What deck am I playing against? Uh, Cabal Ritual is traditionally an Ant card. Anything like, if you see City of Brass, Silence, that kind of spectrum, that's more Tess. So, I guess we can quickly talk about Tess, because it's it's they're both pretty close. They're doing similar things, uh... The Epic Storm tends to be more... Uh, I like to think of it as their extra colors are mostly protecting themselves more than they are comboing. Because, uh, like, just scrolling through the list here, you've got, like, Four Silence. Um, four Silence is actually the uh, the only card that isn't a part of the combo. And then in the sideboard, though, you've got Xanted Storm, Abrupt Decay, uh, things of that nature that are they're more to protect it, which is good and bad for them it's they don't really contribute to the combo 
but it maybe it helps them a little. It's uh, just another one of the interesting differences. Also, recall that uh, the Epic Storm has the opportunity to empty the Warrens, which is an easier kill, quote unquote, for them. Uh, they don't have to work as hard to actually go up to, say, 9 or 10 Storm and Tendrils you. They can just go maybe even 3 or 4 and just go, bam, empty. Creating 10 Goblin Tokens is a two-turn clock. Most decks can't deal with that many tokens. If you feel like you're playing, if you or if you know you're playing against the Epic Storm, bringing in cards like um, Detention Sphere, bringing in Golgari Charm, something like that, uh, even um, Massacre, I guess, if you are running it, or whatever. That's, it's an easier Engineered line. Engineered Plague naming goblins. That's a legitimate play. Depending on what cards you have to bring in versus out, it's a very easy kill for them to do. So, I mean, if I were a test player and I had it on turn one, create ten goblins, you bet I would create ten goblins. Yep. <laughs> Any other cards you can think of, Sam? Uh, the one other card that sometimes sees play in these decks that's not in either of these lists, uh, oh, it is actually in the test list, um, that I find very interesting is Ill-Gotten Gains. Um, not everyone plays this. Part of the reason I think not everyone plays it is it's a complicated card to play, but uh, that's it's a fun one to at least watch. Um, so what Ill-Gotten Gains does is all players discard their hands, then each player puts up to three cards from his or her graveyard into his or her hand. Uh, generally, this will be played with something like they have their tendrils already in hand, and they will play a couple of... Uh, they'll have just a couple cantrips in the deck. Um, another play this sometimes sees is uh, they might have a one-off Lab Maniac to, uh, to do a Lab Maniac kill against you. Um, obviously, uh, any kind of graveyard hate is going to completely hose a strategy like that, though. The Ill-Gotten Games loop, or the Iggy loop, quote-unquote, is also used to build Storm without losing life. So, for example, if you're low on life, so just as the end deck would use Pass in Flames, Ill-Gotten Gains is used by the test deck. So, recall that if you had, say, Lion's Eye Diamonds, you could also basically go, you know, crack-crack, you know, have Man in the Pool... Have ill-gotten gains. Use ill-gotten gains. Get back lines. I diamond. Lines. I diamond. Infernal tutor. You've built a bunch of mana, and you've built you know anywhere between you know two and three storm, two and four storm. Sorry. So you you've you've gotten over that hump to kind of maybe kill the opponent when you wouldn't have necessarily had it before. Uh, the other thing is because you're going to be uh, discarding uh, a large amount, uh, it helps fuel pass in flames if you want to go that route. Also, too, if you know your opponent has a bunch of hate cards in their hand, making them discard their hand and only having three cards, depending on the deck that you're playing against, I'm not totally sure, having them discard their hand might be beneficial. Uh, we, we keep qualifying things. We should point out neither of us are big combo players, so we're mostly coming from the side of uh, the player who is sitting across from them going, man, I have to watch you try and go off again. That's basically all I can think of right now for the Epic Storm, to be perfectly honest. Alright, um, that, and that's all the, that's the two combo decks we wanted to talk about. Um, you want to do just a quick, uh, what, what, what are you going to be playing this weekend? Uh, this weekend I'm actually having a qualifier tournament for our Summer Legacy Classic. So, very likely I'm going to be facing some Esperblade, be facing some Omnitel, some Ant, maybe some Tribal, some Jund, so I think I'm going to be switching from Black, White, Green, Junk 
to Miracles for this tournament. Miracles has basically all the things I want against any sort of combo deck, and I get to entreat the angels, so it's kind of fun. So I'm I'm also interested in getting in some Jason Jays battles, which haven't happened for me quite yet. Yeah, we uh, did get a chance. Anyone who watched the open, we did get to see a Jason Jace battle on camera this last weekend, which is, uh, I would say, is always fun. But uh, this is the first time we've seen it. Um, I will also be playing Miracles uh, with the new rule. I really like playing more Jaces than I was before. I usually played two. I'm playing three and four depending on how I feel that day. Um, and it's it's been really interesting just the last couple weeks. Uh, I had a I've told the other guys about this. I had a really funny loss. Uh, last weekend, I was playing against Enchantress, and I played a Rest in Peace, thinking that he would be playing Replenish. Well, earlier that day, he had changed his mind, and he had added the Rest in Peace Helm combo to his deck. So I played Rest in Peace, and he said, okay. And it got to his turn, and he played Helm of Obedience with one mana open. And I said, well, uh, wasn't expecting that. But uh, the deck has been really good for me thus far. Um, I think it's uh, it's it's pr pretty well positioned. Uh, energy field, rest in peace, obviously really good because the best thing anyone can do against you is have to spend probably an entire turn getting rid of that combo before they try and do anything to you. So that's what I'll be playing. Uh, I'm sure that I will have some sort of report if anything interesting happens. As will I. I mean, if I win in my own qualifier, getting a buy for my own tournament, I'll definitely let you guys know. So how many people do y'all get for that big tournament and for the qualifier? Uh, the qualifier I actually only announced like last week because a few people were like, hey, do we want to play for a buy? So, I mean, that w I'm hoping to g if we can get eight people, I'll be happy. Uh, for the larger tournament on the 17th of August, which I've talked to you guys about before, we're looking at about 40 people, which is insane for Vancouver because we usually only get about 15 to 20. Well, you've said that you've said it before, but you want to give us your big ad for uh, for this tournament? Woo! So the uh, Summer Legacy Classic is located. It's going to be located in Vancouver, or in the Vancouver area, British Columbia, Canada, Pacific Northwest. So it's basically a thirty dollars entrance fee, and I'm going to give out dual lands to basically. I'm going to scale up prizes. If there's fifty people, I'll give out fifty. Uh, fifty person. Fifty. Fuck. Hold on. Ah. Fifty. And fuck balls. <laughs> I'm gonna give out uh, basically as much prizes as money as I take in. Ah, that's that's uh, get going one for one is always positive EV for the players. So and uh, I always uh, support any TO who's willing to uh, basically not make money on the tournament outside of what they sell outside of the tournament. So uh, good luck to anyone who participates in that. It sounds like a good time. Uh, I'm sure Matt will be there with his Ziploc baggie full of dual lands uh, to show everyone what it's like to be a real pimp. This is correct. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening. We hope we were able to give you some valuable insight into the combo matchup. Next week, we'll be fortunate enough to have both Sean and Kobe on board, and we'll be discussing the exact opposite of combo, control. So tune in next week. As always, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash everydayeternalpodcast. Tweet us at eternalmtg or email us at everydayeternalcast at gmail.com with your feedback or questions.